Welcome to the Mass Device Fast 5 MedTech News Podcast, the show that keeps you up to date on the latest breakthroughs in medical technology with the top five news stories to get your day started. I'm your host today, Jim Hamrand, filling in for Danielle Kirsch, and I am today joined by my co-host, Sean Hooley. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jim. I appreciate you stepping in for Danielle while she's away, uh, but yeah, excited to break down today's news. Yeah, happy to do it. You know, when uh, when you were uh, on the road a few weeks ago, I was filling in for you and had a blast. So I'm glad you invited me back to have some uh, more fun this week. Fantastic. Well, shall we get going? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Today, we'll be discussing Recore Medical's renal denervation launch, positive data from Echo for its AI-powered heart disease detection technology, a warning from Olympus on bronchoscopes, more details on the Henry Schein cyber attack, and a new operating model implemented at ResMed. So Recore Medical with that renal denervation RDN system, that's been a long time coming. Really exciting to uh, to see that finally get FDA approval. So how about uh, we start uh, our day with there? Let's do it. Yeah. Company launched its Paradise Renal Denervation System with the first commercial procedures already completed. So they just won FDA approval for this Paradise system really recently. How recently was it? Yeah, the company only picked up FDA approval last week. And so it was evidently quite prepared for its launch. It was the first FDA approval for renal denervation to treat hypertension and Recore beat out Medtronic and its Simplicity Spiral system in that race, as we've discussed a few times on this podcast now. Yeah. So back in August, both uh, Medtronic and Recore went in front of that uh, FDA advisory panel looking for a real favorable uh, vote of confidence on both the safety and the efficacy of their dueling systems. Both were really well received as far as safety goes. Recore got better results on the efficacy while Medtronic did not get the panel support on efficacy. And that came because they didn't hit primary endpoints of the trials while Recore hit all those endpoints. So glad to see this uh, move toward FDA approval, I guess. Uh, still no word from Medtronic, but Recore, they're already doing procedures, right? That's right. The first procedures took place across New York, Ohio, and California. They were performed in New York City and Buffalo in New York, as well as in Los Angeles at Cedars-Sinai and the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland. I don't have this posted yet on medical design outsourcing, but I just spoke with uh, Recore's CEO and I was asking how they were able to get these uh, procedures happening so quickly. She said it was a mixture of doctors who were both involved in the clinical trials, but also some doctors who were not involved in clinical trials, but just really wanted to uh, get their hands on this system quickly. And I think a lot of that has to do with w- because of what it does. So can you, can you remind uh, the listeners exactly uh, what this system does? Of course. So Paradise technology denervates the sympathetic nerves surrounding the renal arteries to lower blood pressure by reducing the overactivity that can lead to hypertension. So the system delivers two to three doses of 360 degree ultrasound energy. It lasts seven seconds each for the dose and the energy travels through each of the main renal arteries to the surrounding nerves. This catheter with the system features Recore hydrocooling that circulates sterile water during the procedure to protect the renal artery wall as well. So, uh, so Sean, what's next on the list? Next, we'll talk about ECHO and its improved heart disease detection with AI technology from a recent study. So companies got more positive results for the system, the Sensora system. Okay, that's great to hear. So what did this study evaluate? So this study of 369 subjects evaluated the performance of the ECHO Sensora system, a digital stethoscope that pairs with AI-based structural murmur detection algorithms. So it pitted the ECHO technology against the standard treatment with an analog stethoscope in a primary care setting. Okay, okay. And um, the study, what were some of the key outcomes that came out of this? 
So results highlighted Sensor's ability to quickly and accurately detect structural murmurs associated with valvular heart disease. The study showed better than two times improvement with the AI technology in detecting that valvular heart disease associated with murmur sensitivity. The AI method performed at 94.1% sensitivity and 84.5% specificity compared to the standard method that produced 41.2% sensitivity and 95.5% specificity. And what about the company leadership? What do they have to say about this? Connor Langrafts, co-founder and CEO of Echo Health, said that the results mark a significant step forward in utilizing AI-powered sensors for the upstream cardiovascular disease detection. Love to see another application of AI in med tech. Uh, really, uh, really exciting space, uh, exciting times uh, ahead. So what's next on the list? Yeah, Olympus has more warnings over bronchoscopes. So we, we had some warnings earlier this year about some bronchoscope technology from the company and now another one in the past week. Let's talk about some of those W's. Uh, what did they warn on and, and why did they warn on them? So Olympus initiated a voluntary field corrective action because of endobronchial combustion incidents involving its bronchoscopes. The company received reports of these incidents occurring during medical procedures that utilized high-frequency therapy equipment in environments rich in oxygen. There were complaints about adverse events, some resulting in serious patient injuries. Endobronchial combustion could lead to burns in the airway or lungs, necessitating additional medical intervention, prolonged procedures, extended hospital stays, intensive care, and in some cases, fatalities. Okay. And I, I seem to remember the Olympus had a bronchoscope warning earlier this year. Is that related to this latest warning? You are right. The warnings are separate, though. The Olympus's July field corrective action involved laser-compatible bronchoscopes tied to reports of endobronchial combustion. So same issue, different devices, different problem, I suppose. Serious patient injury, though, involved in that one and one death as well. So, Gotcha. So in the, in the meantime, what, what's Olympus uh, telling healthcare professionals they need to do about this? The company urged healthcare professionals to familiarize themselves with the full medical device corrective action issued by the company and to know the warnings about using compatible high-frequency therapy equipment like electrosurgical generators to prevent patient injuries like burns, bleeding, or perforation, and to avoid damaging the device. Olympus advises ensuring that the electrode section of the electrosurgical accessory is kept at a safe distance from the endoscope's distal end. All right. Well, thanks for that, Sean. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, up next, we've got cybersecurity uh, updates, don't we? We spoke about this last week, but Henry Schein has more updates on the data breach. The company confirmed it and detailed the financial impact of the cyber attack that we spoke about last week. All right. So what's uh, catch us up? What's uh, a little bit of background that listeners need to know? So the company first disclosed a cybersecurity incident on October 15th. And then this month, a ransomware gang called Black Cat or ALPHV said they encrypted the company's systems and stole 35 terabytes of sensitive data, allegedly causing $150 million in losses. The gang threatened to release internal payroll data and shareholder folders. So really, you know, quite an unprecedented cyber attack, I would say, something I certainly haven't seen around MedTech and uh, today Henry Schein had some more information, some more context around it. Sounds like this is the first cyber attack targeting a MedTech company, or at least one on our MedTech Big 100 list, um, ever since the SEC rolled out new rules telling uh, public trade companies that they need to disclose these things pretty much as fast as they uh, as fast as possible when they determine that it's a, a material event. And I don't think on the call today, we were both listening it, uh, to it, uh, you and I, Sean, I don't think they actually said that it was a material impact, but, um, but what did they say on uh, today's call? 
So the company explained in statements and on its call that bank account and credit card numbers may have been exposed in this data breach. It encouraged data security measures and promised to provide credit monitoring and identify protection services for affected customers. Henry Schein said it contained the incident restored most of the business critical systems that it proactively took offline in response to the situation and is also making significant progress towards resuming normal course operations. And it sounds like they've already identified a few suppliers who maybe their financial information had been misused, but that they're reaching out to them independently uh, or that they have already reached out to those affected suppliers independently. And this is really interesting, again, because it's kind of the first example of how companies are going to need to publicly respond to this, what we can expect to hear out of companies that are affected by it, which could end up being some of our listeners' own suppliers. Um, but what I was really interested and uh, looking um, to hear about today was the financial details. What are the financial ramifications for this data breach. Uh, Sean, what'd you pick up? So CEO and chair Stanley Bergman said on the company's earnings call that last week's distribution business orders were still down by at least 10% compared to before the incident. So the company is expecting a financial impact from the cybersecurity incident, as you, as you mentioned, they called it. It expects its full year sales to be 1% to 3% lower than the previous year. And that comes in instead of a previously forecast sales growth increase of 1% to 3%. So a huge shift primarily due to this incident. The company also decreased the high end of its adjusted EPS guidance, estimating that the incident's business interruption impact should have about a 55 cent to 75% per share impact. This is something I want to write about uh, hopefully soon at mechaldesignoutsourcing.com, sharing some advice and lessons for other companies and what they can learn from the response. So we'll keep an eye on this. I'm sure there's going to be more details coming out. And I, I guess that probably brings us to uh, to another story that we have been covering for feels like uh, forever now. Um, but this one is uh, in some way related to the uh, Respironics recall. It looks like uh, news out of ResMed. That's right. So ResMed has a new operating model, comes just a few weeks after the company announced some restructuring, 5% workforce reduction. Obviously, there's been a lot of change at the company, a lot of increased demand and sort of trying to come to grips with that because of that, as you mentioned, Respironics recall and sort of suddenly having a foothold on the entire sleep respiratory market. But yeah, ResMed is changing some things up and uh, they, they seem pretty positive about, about these changes. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll get into exactly what those entail. Yeah. What kind of details did they announce today? So the company is implementing a new operating model that introduces dedicated leadership in product, revenue, and marketing to its executive team. It includes a series of executive moves within that leadership team as the company looks to accelerate profitable growth, drive greater value, and improve care. So what are some of those uh, personnel changes taking place up at the top of the company? Justin Leong, the... ResMed president for Asia and Latin America takes over as the new chief product officer. The company selected its president in Germany, Katrin Pucknat, as its chief marketing officer. And Mike Fliss, previously the vice president of North America sales, will take over as chief revenue officer. The company also announced that Rob Douglas, president and chief operating officer, plans to retire on January 1st, 2024, transitioning into a new role as special advisor to the CEO. Lucille Blaze, currently the president of sleep and respiratory care, is moving to a new role as senior Vice President of Strategy and Business Development. And did uh, ResMed say more on why they uh, need to make these changes? So CEO McFarrell outlined in the company's announcement that 
it did this because it wants to be more product-led, customer-centric, and brand-enhanced. Those were the words he used. Today, we are making bold changes to ensure these capabilities are directly represented in our executive leadership team, he said. The company plans to measure the success of its new operating model through increased product velocity, increased vigilance on long-term profitable revenue delivery, and increased brand engagement with stakeholders. Well, uh, well thank you, Sean. I think uh, that's all we have for today. That's right. And as always, read more on the Mass Device website and check out the show notes at massdevice.com slash podcast. You can connect with us online as well. I'm on LinkedIn at Jim Hammerand. What about you, Sean? Also on LinkedIn, Sean, S-E-A-N, Hooley, W-H-O-O-L-E-Y. Subscribe to Mass Device Fast Five wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode. Join us tomorrow for your daily MedTech News Roundup. And thank you for listening. Thank you.